ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ I heard a speech given by a leader in Iskon not a well-known leader not not uh but not well-known but very uh influential maybe more influential than some of the more well-known prominent devotees. Uh, influential in the sense that he's uh, prominent in education, in making courses, curricula for the education of devotees in Iskon so i'm going to paraphrase some of the things that he says said and probably still says this was in a, this was in an address to various scholars who were gathered who were some of who were uh, directly members of Iskon and others were members of academia who had some contact with and knowledge of Iskon members of academia who weren't members of Iskon because actually they're all members of academia the Iskon academia means the uh kami educational system and it usually refers to not the kindergarten to the higher levels so uh what he said i'm paraphrasing he opened up his uh introductory talk by proposing or stating that iskon's evangelical style or evangelicalism was borrowed from western religion evangelic that means uh well there's actually certain christian churches which are known as evangelic sure they probably have them here in india because they have them everywhere because that's what it means that it means they're into preaching into converting others in into a brand of christianity which is the fire and brimstone brand you know what that means that means believe in the lord or you will burn in hell forever that's the only brand you get in india i think i mean there it's not that all christians are so doctrinaire but uh the kind of christianity you get out here is all of that variety in the midwest it's mostly that it's there also it's also that's also the bible belt right Well, that's considered way way down in the south okay 
So uh, he said that ISKCON's evangelical style was borrowed from Western religion and did not reflect the traditional culture of bhakti, which is one of heart-to-heart sharing with other faiths. So this was his first uh, salvo of nonsense. I have a salvo. I mean, salvo means burst of gunfire. Sorry, I have to speak in baby English here. Not the kind of English that would be appreciated at the academic conference. So, yeah, this is just a bunch of rubbish. Um, there's a, ever, the idea to preach comes from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and before that Krishna, and the whole Vaishnava tradition. I mean, how did he become a devotee? Someone preached to him. Or how did he become a devotee before he converted back to being a mundaner? Um... Someone preached it, no. Uh, we, the whole history of Vaishnavism is highly polemic. It's not just sitting and singing songs. Polemic means uh, contra- controversy, debate, controversy, like this. We find all the Acharyas, what, they, what were they doing? Uh, they, I, they, they were singing songs, that's true, but they were also uh, opposing. Parshanda Martham. That's one of the sections of the Vedanta Sutra. Is dealing with Parshanda Martham. Vyasadeva himself in Vedanta Sutra. Parshanda Matam, for those of you who don't know Indian languages. Do you know what that means? You're, you speak to Indian. Parshanda. Do you know that word? It comes in Gujarati? Yeah. So, uh, Parshanda means uh, a, a faithless person, one who has a uh, an atheistic or non-bona fide outlook. And that outlook is called Matam. We have the famous saying, Jato Mat Tato Pat. Or as many opinions, that many paths, is the literal translation. But many of the matams, or opinions, uh, are Pashanda. Prabhupada translates Pashanda in various ways, sometimes as atheist. So it's not just a matter of heart-to-heart sharing with other faiths. This this sounds more like the jato mot tato pot. That oh, you have your opinion. Oh, very nice. Well, this is, this is what I, what this, this is what I feel in my heart, and you feel that in your heart. Oh, how wonderful! <coughs> so uh, this uh, esteemed person, he is esteemed by some people, not by me. Esteemed means held in high respect. He is making a case for what he thinks Iskon should be like, falsely citing tradition. 
He says that this evangelic evangelicism, going out and vigorously preaching, that's actually not part of the Vaishnava tradition, but it's something that we, because we're Westerners, and we we spliced that or blended it with Krishna consciousness. This is his Pashandamatam. Iskon's missionary spirit came from Srila Prabhupada. Just in case anyone didn't know, who came to the West and preached, and he was preaching in India before that. <coughs> to preach, you see, he's also preaching, this person, to preach that we should just share with others instead of spiritedly preaching, that will kill the preaching mood. Preaching means, in the words of Bhakti Thakur, let's see if I can remember, it's easier when it's in poetry. Ah, uh, what did he say? I'm trying to remember the Bengali. Mm, can't remember it. Mm, it's very good Bengali, but I can't remember. I could look it up, but it would take some time. Anyway, it means to <coughs> change the way of thinking of people who are not inclined toward Krishna. So if it's just sharing the idea, well, what you have is very good. And okay, uh, this is what I have, and if you like, you can take it. That's that's not going to convince people. It's not going to change their way of thinking. We have to convince people that this is right and that is wrong. But if we don't believe it ourselves, that, well, what I'm doing is okay, what you're also doing is okay, then where's the preaching? Everything's okay. It's Ram Krishna, his idea. Preaching means to change other ways of thinking. Sharing means to approach others as equals. Why should we preach if we don't think we have something better to give? If we, then it's not preaching. It's like sharing heart to heart. So to uh, materialistic people, this sounds much better than trying to convince someone that I am right, I am right and you are wrong. Actually, we don't say that. We say Krishna is right, and we're all wrong as much as we don't surrender to Krishna. It's not that I am. Everyone in this material world thinks I am right. So when one becomes little more. Uh, advanced, then he tries to rise above this actually childish attitude. The, the attitude, I am right because I am me. And what feels right to me must be right. It's, it's just like everyone thinks, I am right. I'm, uh, uh, no, whatever nation we belong to. 
India is the greatest country in the world. Why? Well, I was born in India. Lechten, how do you pronounce that? Liechtenstein? It's maybe the smallest country. Liechtenstein. No, actually the Vatican City must be the smallest. San Marino is smaller than Vatican City. San Marino is probably the smallest country in the world. People probably go there just for tourism to say they've been to another country when they're driving along the eastern coast of Italy. Make a little detour inland. It's a population of about 30,000, something like that. Vatican City has more, maybe. So, uh, well, I'm from San Marino. It's the greatest country in the world. And what's, what's it? I'm from there. Everyone thinks, Janani Janmabhumishcha Swargameva Gariyasi. My mother and my motherland are more glorious than heaven. So the tendency to think, I am right. If one becomes a little more thoughtful, if one gets above the platform of annamai to pranamai, just thinking in terms of what I can stuff in my belly, (coughs) and starts to think of others, then we might find that it's not a very good policy to all the time say that I'm right. It's it's a childish policy. The child screams when something is taken away from him. He may pick up a, a razor and someone seeing it in the hand of a foolish child will grab it away from the child and the child will scream, why why have you done this to me? It's It's an affront. But it requires to be done. But he doesn't understand. So, it is simply to claim, I am right, dogmatically, is childish. And some people realize that, and therefore, instead of going around saying, I'm right, I'm right, what I say is right, they instead try to respect others' opinions. So that's maybe a higher platform than the uh, evangelicism of otherwise known as Bible something. Is that what we call it in America? In England we call it Bible bashing. It means the same thing. It means you bang on the Bible like this. To see, which in India, people who respected a Shastra wouldn't do that. But in, in the West, the idea you... You thump your hand against it to show that this is it. Or in the in the court, it's on the on the table. Thump. Yes, I swear on the Bible. So, uh, being tolerant of others' opinions, that is probably a better platform than the childish one of insisting that I am right without any uh, consideration of why you might be right. Just, we're told, you you should believe this. And then people believe it. So it's not a very intelligent platform. But 
if we think about it, the platform of thinking that all opinions are uh, equally tenable or equally acceptable, that's also not a very good platform. It's, it's a self-defeating platform. The, I, the idea that we should respect all opinions is self-defeating because as soon as someone says, oh, my opinion is that we don't, we shouldn't respect all opinions, then you're, you're trapped. You're caught. All the, there are so many things people say. You got that? You got that point? Yeah. We should respect all opinions. Well, Hitler's opinion was uh, Germany would be a lot better off with... In fact, the whole world would be better off without the Jews. And uh, so, well, at least people who are from Europe know the history. He put his <coughs> idea into practice by killing... How much they say? Over two million Jews? Jews and Germans also he killed some. Six million was it? Oh, that's quite a lot. But Stalin killed more of his own people. So, uh, <coughs> six million was pretty efficient, the Germans. Huh? Whatever they do, they do efficiently. It's exaggerated, probably. Yeah, it seems like a huge number. Uh, so, should we accept Hitler's opinion as also uh, worthwhile and worth considering? Uh, no. <laughs> we shouldn't. But according to the idea that all opinions are equally good, then uh, all opinions should be respected. Well, it is also an opinion. It wasn't... In fact, Hitler was a philosopher also, in as much as he wrote a book to justify his uh, horrible policies. Mein Kampf. What does Kampf mean? My struggle. So I just wanted to bring this to the attention of the devotees here as these things are being propagated. It was brought to Srila Prabhupada's attention that one of the best-selling books in America at that time was a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And Srila Prabhupada commented that that is not our philosophy. Our philosophy is I'm okay, you're not okay. <laughs> I'm okay, you're okay. It's, it's a good social mechanism where you just whatever you want to do, it's okay. As long as you don't disturb others, it's okay. You do what you like. That's what they say about uh, homosexuality. What does it matter? If two consenting adults of the same sex get together, what's the harm? doesn't harm anyone. As long as they don't harm others, then they can do whatever they like. And it's, it seems to be a reasonable. That's what they like. Gives them pleasure. Doesn't harm anyone. Okay. 
but they don't know the laws of nature. That <laughs> they are uh, harming each other and uh, wastage of semen is also uh, sinful. That is meant for propagating children. So it is harmful. Uh, we may think we're not doing any harm. Of course, we often give the example of Hitler when, when giving, when, when demonstrating a point, one method is to, uh, bring an extreme example. And then it's seen the, the fallacy of the logic is exposed by an extreme example. But, there's a much bigger genocide going on daily all over the world which people don't recognize. Genocide means mass killing of uh, animals. I was told by a devotee who's uh, very much into cow protection. I mean, actually looking after cows, not just talking about it like I do. I just talk. Uh, <clears throat> that 80,000 cows are killed a day in India, estimated. It may be an exaggeration, but definitely a lot of cows are killed every day in India. And it's probable that only a very few cows in India that are born uh, escape this, escape being slaughtered. Because people nowadays see them as uh, an economic unit. This cow is worth so much. So they, they sell them. And in states like Tamil Nadu, I believe cow slaughter is officially forbidden. But no one cares that the thousands of cows a day are taken to Kerala, where it's not forbidden. And probably plenty are slaughtered right here in Tamil Nadu also. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, the idea that all opinions should be accepted as the same. Srila Prabhupada didn't accept that. It's it's actually an impersonalistic idea. Jato mat tato pat. All opinion, any opinion is as good as each other, as any other, because it gives the idea that there is no ultimate truth. That truth, as as we've heard in the Western world, it's a commonly said thing. That truth is what you make it out to be. Truth is. Uh, it, truth is in the mind of the individual. Whatever you can, my truth. For me, someone may say Sai Baba is truth. Okay, if you like, that's your idea. I have another idea. So what it comes down to is that uh, there's no truth other than the individual. It means you, you, the individual places himself in the position of God. He declares what is the truth. But as Srila Prabhupada tirelessly pointed out, 
practically every day, at least once he would make this point, that we are controlled. No one can say they are not controlled. We, as Srila Prabhupada would give the example again and again and again. We do not like to grow old, but we are forced to grow old. We do not like to die, but we are forced to die. We don't have a choice whether I shall die or not. When we bring this point out, people often make the inane or stupid. It's another way of saying stupid. Uh, argument that, well, that's natural. Well, that's the point, you damn fool. It is natural and we don't like it. That means we're controlled by nature. We are controlled. We cannot say that we are not controlled. The people make all kinds of ridiculous arguments, which are not really arguments at all, to uh, avoid the point that we are controlled. There is there is a force superior to us. And we say, well, it's just 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 nature. Then again, Prabhupada make the point, whose nature? <laughs> it's not going on automatically. It just doesn't happen automatically, as the uh, atheistic scientists would have us suppose. Everything is controlled. There's a whole complex mechanism of nature. It's not just by chance. It's just—it's so ridiculous, this idea. Everything is happening by chance. But it's well accepted, widely accepted, because it fits with uh, people's desire to avoid the fact that we are controlled, which means there is a superior being to us who controls us. People try to avoid the fact that we are suffering. You say, no, well, again, it's just natural. Life's good. We have to suffer old age, disease and death. Well, that's natural. What can you do? Enjoy yourself the best you can. So, deliberate foolishness is the... the, uh, domain of the so-called intellectuals of this world more than the foolish people. Foolish people uh, or the uneducated, lesser educated, they're just foolish. They don't think much about anything in, in terms of philosophical thinking. It's just ahara nidra bhayamaitun, eating, sleeping, mating and defending. More intellectual people think about things. That's why I often say that this idea that anyone who's got a university education and they're uh, intellectual, they're not intellectual. They're just... uh, We could say uh, a little bit more sophisticated shudras, that's all. They don't know. People don't think. Thinking, uh, they don't know what that is. Thinking about the meaning of life, philosophical thinking. People have no idea of such a thing. But if uh, those who think, they come up with or or make some uh, attempt at thinking, 
these so-called intellectuals, they come up with these ideas, everything has come into being by chance. Everything is simply chance. This is not intelligent. That's why they're more foolish. The, the edu- education makes you more foolish. The education in the modern age makes you more foolish. Because it makes, it makes, it gives you the impression that you're, you're educated and you, mo- you know more than others. Where in fact, you, it's simply compounding your foolishness. <laughs> makes you think about, uh, what's going on and gives you completely the wrong answer and think, oh, oh that's right. Yeah, everything's in, everything's by chance, right? It makes sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. As another thing in this uh, speech that given by the uh, person who I was referring to, who was, uh, he also said that uh, a brahmana means an intellectual. That's all. That's the definition of a brahmana. Doesn't matter whether they believe in God or not, he said. Then why did Prabhupada say that we want to create a class of brahmanas? There are already so-called intellectuals in the world. We would we want to create a, a class of people who can think all nonsense and, and write books. <laughs> that, brahmana, of course, Srila Prabhupada said that these four types of people Four categories, four classes, was the word Srila Prabhupada used. Four classes of people. Intellectuals, administrators, mercantile, which also includes the uh, farming, merchants and farmers. And with administrator also comes uh, military men. So, uh, and the uh, artisans and laborers, in other words, Brahman, Kshatriya, Vaishya, and Shudra, these four classes are in every human society. You'll find everywhere. But it doesn't mean that someone who uh, has a university education and is an atheist is a Brahmana. That's the Brahma Janatiti Brahmana. That's the, uh, the full meaning of a Brahmana is one who knows the absolute truth. And <coughs> other definitions are given in Shastra. The qualities of a Brahmana. Shamodamahtapashocham, Kshantya Arjava Mevacha, Gyanam Vigyanam Astikyam Brahma Karma Svabhavajam. A Brahmana lives and acts in this world. He lives in, he acts in this world according to the uh, qualities inherent in his nature. <coughs> which are uh, peacefulness, self-control, inclination toward austerity, an actual practice of austerity, cleanliness, tolerance, straightforwardness, knowledge and wisdom. So it's not that everyone who's got a university degree is a Brahmin. It's a gross misconception. And furthermore, the, uh, this person went on to say that we should, li- we should be ready to 
listen to anyone, any intellect, any brahmana, any intellectual, whatever their opinion is, then why have an international society for Krishna consciousness? And why be a member of it if we just listen to anyone or anything, as long as they have a university degree, then we should listen to them. We may agree with them or may not, but we should be ready to listen to them. Why? That's not Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching is Mayavadi bhasha shunile hoi sarvanash. If we hear the explanations of Mayavadis, or particularly the Sharirika bhasha of Shankaracharya, then uh, everything is spoiled. There was the case of in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes of one of his most intimate disciples, Bhagavana Acharya, whose brother came to Puri, where Bhagavana Acharya was residing in the association of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Bhagavana Acharya's brother, Gopal, came from Varanasi, where he had studied the Sharirika Bhasha, the impersonal, Shankaracharya's impersonalistic commentary on Vedanta Sutra. And Gopal, the brother, had become very learned. He was a pundit. He was an intellectual. He's a Brahman, a by caste. Bhagavan Acharya, Acharya is a Brahmin name, Brahmin designation. So they were, they were Brahman a caste. <coughs> So Bhagavan Acharya was uh, very pleased. Oh, my brother's got a university degree or the equivalent in those days. He's he's become very very great scholar. In, in those days, uh, scholarship was uh, highly valued in India. As someone who's learned, they were considered very uh, prestigious. Even today in India, in the Western countries, they don't care whether you have a university education. It doesn't make any difference. If you have money, or if, you're, if you have a beautiful body, if you're famous, these things are important. That's coming in India too. You see someone who is a, a cricket star is uh, highly esteemed. Esteemed against means respected. Whereas a, uh, there are so many Sanskrit scholars, no one gives a damn about them. Someone, they know Sanskrit, say, oh, Sanskrit? What's the use? You can't get a job with, can't get a job with Sanskrit. Shudra mentality. You have to get a job. So, you'll find so many people from Brahmana families that, oh, I got admission to IIT. Now I can get a good job. And if if they propose to study Sanskrit, their family members would scold them. Whereas just a few generations previously, if they proposed not to learn Sanskrit, their family members would scold them. Just see how the culture has come down. Anyway, Bhagavan Acharya's brother was a great scholar or seemed to be. And Bhagavan Acharya enthusiastically listened to him, but Bhagavan Acharya was told off or rebuked 
by Srub Damodar, who was also a great scholar, who was the, uh, getting lost there? What words didn't you understand? Rebuked? Bhagavan Acharya, he was, he listened to the explanations of Vedanta Sutra given by his brother Gopal. But, Surup Damoda, he, uh, rebuked Bhagavan Acharya for doing this. Rebuked means scolded. That's the word in common Indian English, scolded. It's a good English word. He scolded Bhagavan Acharya that you shouldn't listen to this. This is not fitting for Vaishnavas. That even in, in the purport, I believe, or maybe it's in the verse itself, I can't remember, stated that even a Mahabhagavat can fall down if he hears the Mayabad explanation. Heavy, huh? Very heavy. So, uh, Bhagavan Acharya, uh, he sent his brother away. <laughs> he was excited. My brothers became a great scholar, but Surab Damada, who is, I was going to say, is the, the alter ego of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, means he's the, practically the same person in a different body. Sarup Damadab what is it? Sarupya Bhagya Shimanajai Banan Prabhur Prabhur Abhishtatar Kai Bakamon. It's something like that. Sarup Damada's good fortune cannot be described because he was completely merged practically. He was absorbed with the the body, words, and mind of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he's, whatever he said was accepted as authoritative by all the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and even by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. So in this way, (coughs) uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught not just to hear everything here and there. And, and there's another case. One poet came from Bengal and offered some poetry that sounded very nice in praise of Chaitanya, praise of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Jagannath. But Sarup Damada, he, he didn't accept that. Even though all the other Devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu thought it was very nice. Sarup Damada pointed out the fault in it. And he referred to Jodva Tadva Kavitta. means just uh, doggerel poetry, you'd say in English, which means just some kind of rubbish poetry. <laughs> just, just like in the modern age, people write just anything comes in their head, they write it down. And they make one line longer than the other line, and the first line twenty words long, and the next line three words long, and the next word seven words long, and it's com- the more nonsensical it, all, it is, the more it's considered great poetry. This is modern poetry. 
But uh, in Sanskrit poetry, there are so many rules of composition. Actually, in, even in English, they, had, they used to have some rules. Uh, but even if the poetry is composed very nicely, if it's not to the point of pure devotional service, then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu doesn't accept it. Whereas, even if from the literary point of view, if literary means concerned with composition of writing, even if some writing is not composed very perfectly according to the Sanskrit rules, but it is, or any rules, it, I mean, it can be non-Sanskrit also, but uh, if it is in the pure devotional spirit, then, namanya nantasya yashonkitani yajchrinvanti gayanti grinanti sadavaha. Even though imperfectly composed, it is uh, heard, sung and accepted by saintly persons who are thoroughly pure in heart. So purity of heart doesn't mean that we, we're just nice to everyone and we accept everything they say. It means that we accept what Krishna says and we reject everything else. Of course, we can. it's not that everything that everyone says, who's not a pure devotee of Krishna, is not true. Got that? The, uh, the, the devotees, they often quote, and directly in Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find quoted Shankara Acharya, whose philosophy we reject. Overall, we reject the philosophy. But there's much that he said that we accept also. His delineation of the nature of this material world is miserable. That follows Shastra. Punarapi jananam punarapi maranam punarapi janani jathare shayanam. This is Shankaracharya, so, or one of his disciples. It's included within his works. Analysis of the material situation. Getting born again, dying again, again and again, entering the womb of a mother. This is the situation. And the next line, Eha sangsare bahudustare kripya pare pahimurare. So this sound is very nice. He's calling on Murari, Krishna, that uh, saying that this material world is very difficult to cross. Please carry us over this ocean of, mater- of the material world. Sustain us, Murari, Krishna. So it's very nice. We accept that. But his overall philosophy of the Jiva and Ishvara being the same is rejected as being the cause of the total destruction of one's spiritual life and therefore one should not hear it. So, uh, what do we deduce from, what do we understand from all of this? That... uh, That which is 
equivalent to impersonalism. The very creed which Srila Prabhupada... You got stuck? You're waiting for me to say the rest. Okay, yeah. It, it, it may be the whole sentence construction may be round the other way in Tamil. What it comes at the end in English can come at the beginning. So the very creed that Srila Prabhupada specifically came to uh, deliver the people of the Western world from Nirvishesha, Shunyavadi. <laughs> that is being propagated in a roundabout way in the name of education within Srila Prabhupada's International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Nirvishesh means nothing special, no specialty. I mean, nothing special. Krishna is not special. Everything is all the same. So that's why you can listen to anything all the same. It's all the same. So there's no harm. You just listen to, you just listen to everything, whatever you like, and there's no specific absolute truth. This is the Nirvishesh or Mayavad, impersonal position. Asatyam apratishtante. The demoniac, they think that there's no, there's no actual truth. Truth is relative. But whatever you think, whatever you think. Today I think that, uh, my paternal grandmother is the supreme truth. And tomorrow, I'll think something else. Whatever I think. Whatever I think is right. Asatyam. There's no, there is no truth superior to me. If someone reads the Bhagavad Gita and thinks, that's true. Mataparataram nanyat. There is no truth superior to me. And the impersonalist reads, me to mean me. When someone says to you, speaking to you refers to me, it means him. But because they have the idea that I'm God, so, okay, when Krishna speaks, he means me. So there's no truth superior to me. In this way, they uh, concoct so many wrong ideas. So we should be careful of this. Krishna speaks Bhagavad Gita to give us the actual truth. There is no truth superior to Krishna. There is nothing superior to Krishna. No one superior to Krishna. This is the actual fact. We don't, we can discuss with people. We're not Bhagavad Gita thumpers. We don't just say believe it. We say, see what Krishna says and try to understand it. And you can start at the very basic points. First accept. The body changes. The person stays the same. Therefore the person is different to the body. It's the very example that Krishna gave at the beginning of Bhagavad Gita. Demonstrating the eternality of the Atma, of the soul. So, this is the beginning. 
of preaching that this material world is miserable. Everyone should see. Jannamrityu jaravyadhi dukkadoshanu darshanam. One should see the miseries of birth, death, old age and disease. Not just see them, everyone seeing them. But see it through the eyes of experienced persons. Otherwise, uh, people see birth, death, old age and disease and still they don't become enlightened. Ahani, ahani, bhutani, gachandeha, yamalayam, stavara, shesha, stavara, ichanti, kimas charyamataparam. Yudhishthira says that every day millions of people go to the place of Yamaraj and those who are left behind, they haven't gone yet this time. They're thinking, I'll, I'll remain here happily. We shall live here happily. So they see that others are dying, but they don't, it doesn't jolt them into thinking that what is beyond birth and death? So we should see the miseries of birth, death, old injuries and disease, but see them through the eyes of enlightened persons. We should hear from enlightened persons. This word this term enlightened has, like most other words, and especially words that uh, are used in philosophy and spiritual matters, or pseudo-philosophy and pseudo-spiritual matters. Got lost there? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the word enlightened. What's the word in Tamil? In, in, in Sanskrit, I guess that would be Prabuddha. Buddha is known as the enlightened one. Prabodh, that's a common name. Anyway, you heard that boy's name in Tamil Nadu, Prabodh. It's quite common in North India. You get that? You don't get that in South India. You know anyone called Prabodh? It's out of fashion now. They're probably, you know, they usually Mickey and like that. They don't use. So, uh, the word enlightened, I was, I was saying we should hear from enlightened persons. Enlightened means prabuddha or pragya is another word in Sanskrit. So, uh, but then I was saying, wait a minute, uh, you say enlightened and then uh, in English I said that words which are connected with philosophy or spirituality or yeah words that are used in philosophy and spiritual or religious matters yeah again tattva it's not philosophy what they call philosophy yeah or pseudo or pseudo philosophy or pseudo religious matters all these pseudo means pretentious or appearing to be, not what it really is. So uh, all these words get misused. That's why uh, I was preaching in Thailand and they mostly in the 1980s, mostly the 
early 1980s, very difficult to preach because it's a Buddhist country. And any word we want to use for in Thai, the Thai language is largely influenced by Sanskrit, and especially the philosophical terms. So all the terms we want to use, which are in Sanskrit, have come into Thai with Buddhist connotation. So any word we say, and they understand it in their Buddhistic way. So the term enlightened, I was going to say, is often, well, it's in English, it's often connected with the Buddha. Buddha means the enlightened one. So enlightened, actually enlightened means Krishna conscious. So we should hear from enlightened persons or or realized persons, not from anybody and everybody. And that Krishna conscious means anudarshanam, means following parampara. We, not that we uh, just talk any nonsense, and that's uh, because we have uh, tilak on. Maybe, probably not actually, but uh, but because we are known as members of the International Society for Krishna Conscious, and then anything we say is okay. No. It has to be following parampara. It has to be truth. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the use? If we don't speak, what is actually the truth, and why are we speaking? What, what business do we have speaking at all? If, we just, if we're just speaking an opinion, if it's just another opinion, Sadhus are supposed to speak authoritatively. If, if sa- someone studied Shastra and lived their lives for, for understanding the truth, and they come out and say, well, in my opinion, then what were you doing being a sadhu all these years? If you only got as far as an opinion, you should know. should know what the truth is. They should just like people say, what is, they may say, well, what are your experiences? They expect that you, have some realization. Of course, their idea is that you should have seen Krishna, or joined Krishna dancing, or that you can make Shiva Lingas come out of your mouth, or something like this. Their understanding of what spiritual realization is is very poor. But one should, if one is a sadhu, he should speak authoritatively. Acharya van purusho veda. One who has learned from an acharya, he's supposed to know what is what, what is going on, what is the meaning of life. And if one is speaking as a sadhu and he doesn't know, then what kind of a sadhu is that? He should, he's, if he's going to speak to others, then he's speaking in his field of expertise. It's just like if you call uh, an electrician, you have some problem. A person comes, electrician, and he looks at the... Uh, he looks at the wires and he says, well, uh, I think uh, we should maybe change the wires. What do you think? He said, well, I don't know. That's why I called you. You're supposed to be an electrician. If he doesn't know, then what business has he got being a, an electrician? He should know. He should be able to give you the solution. One should go to a guru 
to attain that knowledge by which one becomes free from birth and death. If you go to a guru and uh, someone is supposed to be a guru and says, uh, how can I get free from birth and death? And he says, well, uh, I think uh, you should do this, but what's your opinion? I didn't come to get, uh, I didn't come to get my opinion. I don't know. That's why I came to you. But there's, again, the impersonal idea, the ultimate is unknowable, and therefore you can just give your opinion the, about it. The, 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 the example of the blind men grasping different parts of the body of the elephant is sometimes uh, uh, inaptly out of context quoted to say that the absolute truth is uh, every, everyone has their own perception of it. And therefore any any uh, any perception of the truth it's anyone is as good as another. But this example doesn't hold with the absolute truth. Actually, it may do in, in one sense, in a higher sense, but the point is that those who are knowers of the truth, just like the blind men cannot understand that an elephant is an elephant, but knowers of the truth know that the truth is the truth. It's not that they all perceive... Some, it's not that their understanding of it is so different that they come up with completely different ideas. There may be different understandings of Krishna. Someone sees him as their son. Someone sees him as their lover. Someone sees him as their friend. But all knowers of the truth know that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So the example that uh, of the blind men grasping different parts of the elephant to attempt to establish that the uh, the truth is as one perceives it. It's it's a it's a misappropriation of this analogy because all the blind men were wrong. That's the point. It shows that it actually demonstrates that one cannot understand the truth. Uh, unless one can see properly. So we should hear. This is the conclusion. We should hear from those who know. We should not hear from those who don't know. It's not all the same. Hare Krishna. Any question about this? Yeah. What is the actual reason that... Uh, some of our members, members of uh, society, go astray. Go. Why do people go astray? In the, this particular way, you know, is it why they? Why In this particular way, to, you mean the intellectual they, way? Yeah. Why they start to think that you know, we should not respect them? Is that lack of because of lack of faith? Or? Lack of faith is that the reason? Envy? Well, they could. All these things could be stated. What's the word? Conformism. Conformism. Wanting to conform to the materialistic norm. All these could be stated. It could be said lack of faith in Krishna consciousness. Of course, they would say that 
uh, persons on, in that camp on hearing this kind of speech would say that it's just fanatical, uh, immature, the kind of thing that spoils our society, and so on and so on. So, you all use your good intelligence <laughs> to see what is the actual position. Use your intelligence. We don't say, I, I'm not saying just accept what I say because I said it. Even Krishna himself doesn't say that. Although he establishes himself as the supreme, he himself is, uh, cites that, uh, what's that verse in 13th chapter? Chando Bhirividhai Pritak, Brahma Sutra Padais Chaiva, Hetu Madhvivinishchitai. What's the first line? I've got the last three padas. Huh? How does that begin? Rishi Bhirbahuda Gitam. The Rishis sing about this in various ways. Chando Bhirividhai Pritak. And the Chandas, which literally means the meters. Yeah, yeah, this is the same word in Tano, Chanda. They are, uh, they, they are varied also. Brahma Sutra Padais Shaiva Hetu Madhivinishchitai. But the, what it is in the Brahma Sutra is, uh, that establishes what is the actual cause. So Krishna, he calls on the authority of the Brahma Sutra, which he composed himself, of course, but in his avatar of Vyas. Yeah, anything else? Very The word enlightened, yeah. Pradeep literally means a, 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 a bright light. Enlightenment, yeah, we, we, that's a translation of Prabuddha. But as in most languages which are quite, a, quite far apart, often abstract terms, they don't exactly translate. Just like you can exactly translate go in Sanskrit to cow is an exact translation. But when we're dealing with um, abstract concepts, then the from one language to another it may not translate very accurately. But with abstract concepts, then it, because it's abstract, then different people have their own understandings anyway. Therefore, they, these terms are <coughs> often, often you'll find in, in most uh, Vedic systems of philosophy, one of the first things the Acharyas of those, of their various schools do is to define how they use the terms. And the terms are often used differently in different schools. Just like Bhakti Yoga, as we understand it in the Gorya system, has quite a different meaning in the uh, Sri Vaishnav. System. So the first thing is to define terms. We find that 
votaries of Sai Baba, they often like to buy ISKCON books. And they read them. And they say, it's very nice. Even it talks about all bogus avatars. And they take it to mean uh, everyone except Sai Baba. And when it describes Krishna, I think this is very nice. Sai Baba is the origin of Krishna. I watched yesterday, after all these years, I got in the habit of watching, well, these uh, videos. So I was watching about the Sai Baba, and there's this American couple who are so disappointed because they spent all their life as great followers of Sai Baba, and then their son was uh, sexually molested by Sai Baba, and they were so disappointed. It's their damn fault. They're so damn stupid in the first place. They shouldn't have been so stupid as to accept a, this ugly Baba as being God. They're just stupid. Because they had some feeling. When I looked into Sai Baba's eyes, I felt there was an ocean of love. They're just stupid. We should distribute Prabhupada's books. The only hope, really. People have got no intelligence. They're so stupid. The only hope is that they give them Prabhupada's books, really. And if they read it, if they have... Fortunately, despite modern education, there's still hope that if people read Prabhupada's books, because it's soul-to-soul resuscitation. You got that? Just like resuscitation, you know, someone's heart stopped. So then you rub the heart and try to bring them back to life. So this is... Soul resuscitation. Atma. Reviving the Atma. Jeev Jago, Jeev Jago, Gaura Chandra Bola. Koto Nidra, Jao Maya, Pisha Chirakola. It speaks to the soul. So there's hope. But still, people are so covered by ignorance. They, they, they need good doses of prasadam and harinam. Otherwise, they, they just... What makes sense? They, 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 people are so nonsensical, they can't understand it at all. I had uh, I, various experiences in, in the West. I speaking to someone, giving the example of the lame man and the blind man, and then they say, well, you know, what have you got against lame people and blind people? And you shouldn't look down on them. I mean, stupid. It's just stupid. Another time I was speaking to someone giving the example of the car and the driver. You say, well, you're supposed to be religious people. I don't think you should use cars. Hare Krishna. Take a plate of halava. <laughs> people are very, very dull-headed. Very dull-headed. And we saw in his video this uh, this man from America. Obviously, the way he's speaking, he's from the mundane point of view, quite cultured and educated. He had enough money to build a huge house and to fly to India. He wasn't a bum in the street. But he's so cheaply accepted. This complete cheater as God. Ah, yes, so. 
On the other hand, then you get people who become, they go right, right, right round the other way. And they say, well, there's no God and the proof is Sai Baba. You see, they're all cheating. How people misunderstand. And in that video also, the, this uh, woman who was running it, the name I saw at the end was uh, something Dutta, a Bengali from London, with a young woman from London with a Bengali name, Tanmaya, I think her name was. Anyway, she was interviewing these village women in Andhra Pradesh. Somehow they could speak a few words of English. So they asked... She asked them, well, what do you think of Sai Baba? Who is he? And one woman answered, he is a God. And she said, he's God. Yes. So their understanding, he is a God. And this interviewer changed it to he is God, which is a completely different concept. In the Hindu idea, he is a God. He's a God and Shiva's a God and... And uh, Ganesh is a god, and there are so many gods. Venkateshwar is a god, it's Andhra Pradesh. They're all gods, but the Western idea, he's god. Just took the word, because they don't have the conception that there is of the of a god. They can only think of god. So like this, just it's a small point, but it just shows how we have to listen very carefully. You have to hear very carefully. And how we bring our own cultural concepts. And we try to, we try to understand everything through what we already understand. But the, 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 that's why it said one should come as a blank slate. If we try to understand in terms of what we already think, then we'll get it all wrong. We'll listen. Krishna is the absolute truth. Oh, okay, all right, that's a good opinion. Then we missed the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I think I could accept that. That's that's okay. Yeah, I could I could add that to my collection of things that I believe in. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work to accept Krishna as supreme as just one among many opinions. It, it logically it doesn't work. So, Hare Krishna. We'll finish there. All glories to Srila Prabhupada, who spoke the truth. <laughs> uncompromisingly. That's what it says here, right? They actually wrote it there. Uncompromising, transcendental teacher. That, what is it? Uncompromising transmitter of timeless, of timeless absolute knowledge. Very good description of Prabhupada. Which year is that? This year, oh, 2009, 2009 marathon. Jai. There's still hope. Uncompromising. Tra-